Hello, and welcome to A Simple Podcast. My name is Anthony. I have a love for music and marketing, and all I'm trying to do is bridge those two things together and talk to some really cool people in music. In this episode, we talk to Josh Matotek, a producer and songwriter who is located in Florida, so if you're in the area, be sure to check him out. We cover a lot of things in this episode, ranging from top lining to songwriting tips and even marketing tips as well. But before we delve into the episode, I wanted to take a moment and thank our sponsor, which is Feature FM. Feature FM is a advanced music marketing platform, which is actually trusted by over 60,000 labels and artists across the board. It helps you increase revenue in digital music services and maximize your audience engagement. If you sign up today with our affiliate link, you do get a free $10 credit worth 500 sponsored song plays to your specific target audience. To get started, go ahead and visit feature.fm simple. And with that being said, let's begin. I mean, I think the, the safest bet would be kind of just like an introduction. Like if uh, you can kind of tell me who you are, like obviously I know your name and stuff, but um, for the people that end up listening to this or if it just gets trashed because I end up being a failure with my startup, um, who is Josh and why should I work with you? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm a songwriter and producer. You know, some of the guys that I work with don't know how to do either of those. Some of them are really good at both. My role as a producer is to basically just fill in kind of where the artist leaves off, you know, as far as like sitting down, talking about their vision and trying to gain an understanding of like where their passion comes from that way you know we can make sure that it's like expressed properly through their music i mean I, that's really like the core of what i do of course i do other things too but most of the time you know it's people coming to me and they need help with you know either writing or producing their ideas into something um something bigger i like how you said kind of uh being on board with the artist's vision because i feel that's it's one thing to write a well what the song the initial songwriter would think like a banger you know yeah. but it's different when piecing it all together like going into the studio or kind of getting like a producer's input and there's like this really bad stigma especially in like the rock or the the scene quote-unquote or metalcore if, if that's even still a thing that having a songwriter come in or, or a producer, there's a really negative stigma behind that, you know? Oh yeah. Um, and uh, dude, and- I feel it. Like I feel that daily right now I'm in Pittsburgh, but in a week and a couple days, I'll be moving to Florida um, with my girlfriend. Oh, nice. And uh, the scene here isn't the healthiest man. Like it feels like it's a giant competition and I've been sent posts of people like posting on Facebook, like talking shit on what I do. Because, like, I write for people, you oh, know? Wow. And they're like, oh, you know, this guy, this guy writes people's music. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I do, you know? Because, like, I have vocalists that come to me and they're like, hey, you know, I can't find anybody, but I want to put this out and then find people from that. And it's like, there's right. nothing wrong with that. Like, there, there's an awful stigma about it. But in reality, like, even whenever I'm writing for people and I'm the only songwriter, I mean, there's been times whenever I'll do the entire top line also including the lyrics right and, and for those who don't know uh can you can you say what a top line specifically is i'm yeah, one of so, those people by the way oh uh, dude no worries so um a top line which honestly it's kind of funny that i say that about like metalcore 
because I don't think anybody in metalcore has ever said that word. But uh, yeah, top line I know is it's a, a pop thing. Yeah. yeah, it's mostly a pop thing. Um, but it basically just refers to the melody, um, you know, like the vocal phrasing, basically the vocal part. That's a top right. line. And okay. so like a top line could be, you know, just like a melody or it could also refer to like, dude, I don't even know. It, it's everybody says top line. But yeah, I, so I, you know, so pretty much kind of I like always a hook in a way. Like, could it be similar it be. or comparable to that? Because I see, like, in a lot of like the pop forums, they they um like make pop make pop music specifically. Uh, shout out to them, I guess. But shout um, out to Austin Hall. Oh yeah, he's dope. I love that he's guy. Great. He actually did a top line for me one time. Oh no way! Yeah, That's the awesome. song's still not out yet, but we're working on it. <laughs> that nice. was like a year ago, but yeah, the song is still very much alive. Uh. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. How about if we use that as an example? So yeah, I hit up Austin. I was like, Hey dude, I'm stuck on this vocal part. I have, I have the hook and I don't know if I love the hook. Let me know what you think. If you want to change it, you could change it. If you want to keep it, you could keep it. And he pretty much kept like the general vibe of the hook. And then he wrote the verses and the bridge for me, you know, and it was literally just like him singing and he sent me the demo back, you know, like that's a top line is just the vocal part. But yeah, so um, to get back on track, uh, there's been times whenever I'll do everything, you know, right. where the artist doesn't touch the song until they're in the room tracking it. And, right. you know, at first, like I'm offering this and it's kind of like for those listeners who like sold cars, it's kind of like whenever someone walks in and you tell them their trade is worth half of what it's actually worth. It kind of has that feeling like it feels a little hollow. But then I realized <laughs> that that's how most artists operate even in a band most of the time it's one guy writing everything oh 100 percent. you know i've, so I've it, been that guy <laughs> yeah right so like yeah. what what's the problem you know if you like it's hard enough finding someone who could do that and right. do it well and then it's even harder finding three to five other guys who are willing to put their life on hold to go on tour you know or 100%. put thousands of dollars into you know, the project. So I don't have a problem with it. Um, it's something that I really kind of like adapted to. And I honestly support because like, I've been there, you know, I've had a hard time, you know, finding people who are committed. I've had a hard time finding people who, you know, either want to give their input and it's good input or, you know, don't give me input when I need it, you know? And so on top of that, you know, I'll be sitting there doing everything and, I still send it to my friends who are writers and producers. I'm like, Hey, what do you think? And there's times, you know, where, uh, you know, my friend, Sam, who's local to the area, you know, he'll be like, dude, like come over and like, let's work on this and we'll work on the song together. So it's like, you know, even, even technically, you know, I'm a producer, like I still get second opinions and there's times whenever, you know, I have my friends take over and help me out with something, you know? And, um, it's, it's really just about like serving, serving the song, you know, and making sure that it's great and uh, making sure it's what the artist wants. But also, like, if I just wrote what the artist wants, 90% of the time, it would be awful. Um, And I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just like, a lot of times, like, you know, if you're a vocalist, you know, you're sitting there and you're driving to work every day and you're singing along to your favorite songs, you know, and you're like, man, I would love to be in a band like this you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so it's kind of my goal to like put myself in their shoes and think, well, 
if I'm passionate about X, Y, and Z, and I want to do A, B, and C, then what would my music sound like? You know? Right. And a lot of times I'll send people a track and they'll be like, whoa, I wasn't expecting this at all. You know? And, um, you know, so it's really just about trying to figure out how I can do what people want, but also like kind of raise the bar a little bit. Yeah. Just um, make the most out of the release. And just like you said, like some artists don't really know, like they know what they want, but they just don't know how to get there. So I feel like your role as a songwriter and producer just gives them that extra, you know, push or like you said, raises them to the next level. Exactly. Yeah, no, for sure. And, um, yeah, it's really cool doing what I do. Um, because I get that, I mean, for instance, I'm working with Daniel, uh, McGill and, uh, we're doing, we're finishing up the four song EP. We're doing another single and then we're doing like an acoustic EP that we have all planned out. And, um, Dan hit me up last January or February. So it's almost been a year. Mm-hmm. He was like, Hey, you know, I'm looking for a songwriter. And that's like what really got me into writing. You know, like this is still pretty new to me before this, you know, I was producing bands and it's a lot harder to convince somebody to like make their song better. If they've already been like listening to the demo for months and months and months, you know? Right. Um, and so he was like, Hey, you know, I love like cave town in the 1975 and whatever Harry Styles last record was, but it sounded so good. And oh, yeah. um, that thing slaps and he just released a new one not too long ago. I haven't gotten the chance to check it out unless dude, that's the one you're talking about. No, no, it was the one before this most recent one. Harry Styles is like one of my favorite people I think right now. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's just all around incredible. But, yeah, um, I really like his song Kiwi. I think that's the, the, the record that, that we're both talking about. Yeah. It just has that dusty sound. Like I love it. I love it so much. And, um, you know, he hit me up and he was like, yeah, you know, so I don't know how to write songs. I don't have anybody. However, I'm good at singing and I'm having trouble like writing lyrics, you know? And at the time I didn't know this, but, uh, he was only 17. I forgot to ask him his age when he signed the contract. So technically our contract for this EP, um, doesn't exist because oh, he wow. signed it when he was like, it was like two days before he, he was a minor. that he signed it. Yeah. So whatever. But, um, so, uh, Dan, uh, Dan's actually trans. And so when I met him, um, he was like, still like physically a girl, you know? Right. And, um, so he like approached me with this and he was like, I want to basically document like my transition, but with an EP. And I was like, this is wild. Like I'm all about this. It's cool. Cause it gives it a good story too, you know? Cause like how so, many people can be like, yeah, I literally recorded the most important year of my life. It's sick. And that takes a lot from, from his part to, to trust you in that. Uh, especially with a, a sensitive subject like that or, or that Dude, big of a right? transition, like coming up to you and saying, Hey, um, can you make my vision a reality? You know, like kudos yeah. to you for, for that. Well, I mean, that was one thing that like was weighing on me. I was like, do I really want to take on this project? Like if I screw it up, like, you know, we, he only has one chance at this. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, he, he's not gonna be like, yeah, it wasn't good enough. Let's just restart. Like, like you can't, you know, we're, we're documenting like literally, him becoming a new person. And so, um, 
we started off with like the first single and we like it was so hard to like read him and mm-hmm. uh he's definitely one of those artists that just has a lot of ideas so when it comes time to sit down and like write one song it's like uh what do i do mm-hmm. you know a bunch of other stuff comes up <laughs> yeah you know so um i just kind of sat down and i tried to channel my inner maddie healy and kind of combine all the influences that he gave me and it's called sober heartbreak and the song is just it's probably the best song i've ever written to be honest you know it it was about his ex um you know and their struggle with addiction and and all that stuff so like it was it was kind of cool because when you're writing for other people you really have to get in their head so he sent me literally a google doc that's just like pages and pages and pages of just thoughts so I would sit there and I would sift through and pick out my favorite parts and then write around those. And, That's awesome. Um, dude, it was so cool because typically when people do that, it's like it's like the worst because all the lyrics are super specific and they, you could tell that they like planned out the rhyme schemes and there's just like no budging because like half the song they're rhyming orange with door hinge and like, you know, like, it, make it's sense. Just, yeah, like it's just tough, you know, but these were literally just like thoughts. Like it was to the point where, you know, you could tell he was having a bad day and he just pulled out his phone and vented for five minutes before he went into work. And then, you know, a couple weeks later he did the same thing, you know? And, uh, so right. it was neat. I was able to like, just like piece apart, like these feelings that he was having throughout that course of time. And, you know, kind of turn it into a full song. And then the second song was insane because he started, like when we recorded the first song, he was still pre-T and then he started testosterone. So his voice started changing like immediately. And it's wild because like uh, the second song, it was really difficult for him to track because he was super quiet beforehand. And he Mm -hmm. had like that, it was, I don't want to say like indie girl voice because like that's almost like an insult nowadays, but right. um, he had like a ton of control over his voice and it was super soft and just like really pretty sounding. And then mm-hmm. we tried to track the second song and it like, it reminded me of like when I was going through puberty. So right. I had to like take myself back like a decade and like try to like coach him through this vocal session. And it was hard, but it was so worth it because now and the song that we like that i wrote about for that one uh it's called dysphoria so it's you know really just like this cool moment where you hear the first song you're like oh that was so sad and like you know his voice is so great and then the second song it's like about him struggling with you know being trans and And his transition. Yeah. And his voice is just like, like, honestly, it's shot, but like, it's cool, you know? Right. It just adds more of like a a uniqueness to it too. Cause I, I'm going to be honest, I haven't listened to it, but I'm going to right after this because it sounds really badass. but I assume it's kind of documenting the transition, but you can hear it in the artist's voice, which that's unique in itself. And like you said, it's a great story and a, a great angle that, no one else has you know right i mean the only other artists like i don't know i'm i grew up in white suburbia dude so like literally dan was the first person that i ever met who was transitioning you know right um well the first person i was close with you know because like now it's almost like he's like me and sam's little brother it's really cool you know for me it was just like this really cool like 
moment because I also learned a lot. You know, I learned a lot about like, you know, mental health and like body image. And I learned about, um, you know, the trans community in general and how misunderstood people are and how they just want to be treated like humans, you know? And so like, yeah, it's very eye opening. Yeah. Um, I, have a, I have a great trans friend that I made through, through music as well. And, um, you know, it's, it's crazy. The stuff they go through. Oh dude, it, it's absolutely unreal. Cause you know, beforehand it was like, you know, I was doing my best to like be an ally and like showing people that I care, but like, whenever you get like that inside look at like what people go through, it's just, it's completely different, you know, it's different. And, and it makes you think like how many more of these stories. Cause like you said, you, you got that Google doc with just their, their thoughts just poured out. Like imagine how many more, how, how much, how many more people have those exact same thoughts or, or different thoughts, you know, like yeah. the, the things they go through. It's just, it's overwhelming when you think about it, you know, and it sucks. Yeah, dude, it, it, it's unreal. And like, it was just so cool, you know, to be a part of because like, the song itself is actually pretty cool. Because it's like, I was going for like that acoustic, like folk vibe. And mm -hmm. then we figured out a way to kind of spin in like more of a pop vibe to it as well. And um, whenever he released it, he was sending me screenshots of the responses. And people were crying over the lyrics that like I pieced together. And like, it just made me feel really good because like, like I, I've never like, you know, sure. Like, you know, I'll look in the mirror and I'm like, yeah, you know, I could be in shape, but like, I've never looked at myself and been like, you're in the wrong body. You know, like I've never actually hated myself to the point where I would go through all these extra steps, you know? Yeah. And so whenever I was writing it, I was it was, it was kind of really hard to do, man. Cause like, you don't want to, cause like, I didn't want to come off as like overly dramatic, you know? Right. Cause or like be disrespectful, like, right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And like, I also didn't want to be like, not, you know, not do it justice. Yeah. Right. You know, like it, it's so weird trying to find that middle ground. And so the, pre-chorus is um the words are so let me cut my skin and piece me together in a way that makes sense uh gave a lot of blood just to fit in my head ain't nobody gonna tell me that she's not dead and um oh wow it, it was like <laughs> thanks dude and like it was just really sitting down and like trying to figure out like like what would i be saying you know if i was in that position you know and um it turned out great and I'm really I'm really stoked on it. I'm really proud that I was able to do it cuz I've never I've never written so objectively before. You know, it's like oh you write a breakup song. It's like I can't even relate to breakup songs cuz I've never been through a breakup. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that that's a good thing to be proud of. Yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> and it's great, you know. Um I've been with my girlfriend since I was 15 and um that's so, awesome. you know, I can't even relate to that. I was teasing my friend, Nick, we're working on a song together and I was writing some lyrics for it. And I was like, dude, I hate, I hope you hate your ex as much as I apparently hate your ex. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So it, it's just like, it, it's really cool. Like getting to really know people and like form a relationship and then bring it all together. Cause like, I don't know. Cause at the same time, like I'm not just helping him through this whole thing. 
and you know, just it, it's not like he's just like, hey man, you know, like do some songs for me, and I do the songs, and then they come out, and it's whatever. It's like now it's like helping people who don't have any form of like representation through media like now they have a connection and like something to listen to whenever they're feeling that way and like something that they could cry themselves to sleep to you know and like it's just like it feels really good knowing that like it's bigger than me you know Mm -hmm. because like it's so easy to feel like what you're doing is entirely like self-serving whenever you're a producer you know because you get in that mindset of like People come to me with okay songs. I make them great. That's the end of it. You know, it's really cool being a part of something bigger. And I really hope I get more projects like it. I mean, honestly, I don't think I'll ever have a cooler project than this. Um, oh, yeah. Especially you know? like like you said, like that was your your exposure to that. Um, you know, I can only imagine to go uphill from there. But uh, yeah. kind of something similar to that, uh, that's... What is that uh, phrase that everyone says, the needle in the haystack or whatever? Yeah, something like that, dude. And uh, what's wild is he actually hit me up on an app called Thumbtack. It's like a freelancing app. And I haven't haven't got a single project from that since. Or actually, I got one. Hmm. And it was whatever. But I I have never gotten quality work from that app. And it just so happens that's how I found Dan. Freelancing um, is tough. Yeah, for sure, dude. I mean, that's uh, that's something that I really discovered over the past year is just like how to really create, you know, your own tribe, as Seth yeah. Godin would say. Hundred percent. You know, digging into that and generating your own, your own kind of clientele. Um, oh, yeah, especially in such a saturated market. I mean, just anything creative nowadays, like everyone and their mom is in a band. Everyone and their mom is a producer, a graphic designer. Like there's just so much out there now that it's just very hard to stand out. Um, Mm -hmm. so, I mean, I, I think that's very, um, like, I envy that of you that in a, in a world where there's like production again, anyone can do it, you know, like there's a bunch of free stuff out there. Like you're using Reaper, like that's free, you know? Yeah, um, yeah but I'm just using the, Reaper right now. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, like I literally have never paid for Reaper. I mean, I use Cubase or whatever, but like I've never actually paid for Reaper since I started I don't think doing this when I was has. like 14. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think anyone's paid for Reaper, and anyone who claims that they have, they just torrented it seven years ago. I don't care what you say, whoever. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care what you say, man. That's yeah. not a real license. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> That's I'm pretty funny. sure the FBI torrented uh, Reaper also. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but um, what I was kind of going with that too, like, um, how do you, again, like, this project itself definitely makes you stand out as a producer. But just going along with that trend, like, how do you stand out as a producer? How do you, how did you create your tribe? You know, um, I'm kind of alluding to something also uh, as to how I found you, but where, how do you find prospective clients or how do you find uh, people to produce? You know, is it like, do you go to local shows at all or how does, how do you come about that? So most of my work is remote. Um, I find most of my guys through Instagram and um, basically like, cause like I'm still new to this, you know, I was doing like one-off jobs, like, you know, this time last year, 
And then I was, uh, I was in the internet department at a car dealer and I was making a ton of money, literally sitting at a desk eight hours a day. And they were like, Hey man, you make too much money. So we're going to change your job description and pay you half. And so, yeah, so I, I quit, you know, I was like, well, I was making from, you know, I was tracking to do like 45, 50 grand, which is pretty good considering I have no like real skills other than creative work. And yeah. then uh, my first month under the new position, I think I cleared like $1,400. And I was like, uh, I have clients right now who will make me more. And right. um, so like, I'm still really new to this. And so I've been diving into all the resources I can just to like learn. And I've been doing everything I can to kind of like figure things out on my own without getting too burnt out, you know? And um, so as far as finding people, I just post content that like I care about and that like I truly like resonate with. And mm-hmm. then I target people who are like me, you know? Um, Cause ultimately at the end of the day, anything that you're doing, that's like this, like emotional, I guess you could say, um, yeah. like you need to be able to like fit together with the person that you're working with, you know? Um, so 100%. I, uh, yeah, so I, I just, you know, target the interests that I have interest in and I go for it and, um, you know, I'll run ads and, um, I remember the first time that I had like a super successful, like ad campaign. It was so sick and I'm still working with the people from it. And, um, you know, but it it took me a long time to figure it out beforehand, you know? Um, right. Cause in a perfect world, I would just be able to target anybody who interacts with like the producers who I idolize, you know what I mean? Right. But then like, you can't do that. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's just not possible. And even if it was, like, do you really want to be known as, like, the second class, like, whoever? Like, Drew Falk or Andrew Wade or yeah, Lewis the, Bell, you know? like The great, the great value, Joy Sturgis or something. Yeah, right? I mean, honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind being, like, the great value version of, of Louis Bell. His uh, Post Malone is awesome, but whatever. Um, 100%. Yeah, well, like, and then, even how you said as- just finding people that like are interested in the same stuff as you like um and like you said like working together on something emotional um how people talk like down on you for like songwriting and stuff like people just need to realize that at the end of the day you're you're crafting something together like your music is something that's supposed to make everyone enjoy it you know and that's all you're really doing as a producer and a songwriter like that's what your role is to like make the most out of the release right in a collaborative effort yeah like i mean at the end of the day it's like why did i start doing this it's like well the truth is is i wanted to be in 10 different bands you know i wanted to be in a band like citizen i wanted to be in a band like the 1975 i also love silent planet i love uh you know i love everything dude you know like same like i wake up every day and i think about how much i miss mac miller you know and it's like like i can't there's not enough time on earth for me to do all that and so like i wanted to basically 
do it vicariously through people who are passionate, you know? And, um, at the end of the day, that's my only goal is to really like just help people put something new out into the world. And, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, if people have a problem with it, like whatever, it doesn't affect me. I mean, they weren't going to hire me anyway, so there's no reason to be upset about it. A (laughs) hundred percent. And I mean, for, for those like on the fence about like having someone step in and, and do your songwriting for you or even just help, like that's an industry standard, you know, like I'm yeah. pretty sure 90% of anyone who's on the billboard top 100 had someone other than the artist touch the song, you know, whether yeah. it was the top line or a guitar feature or just something or just something that produced that the producer suggested like that's a standard thing because and again some people get mad when you when you talk about your creative outlet being seen as a business but that's what it is you know you you you're a business so you want the end result or the end product to be the very best it can so why talk down on on someone else granted you're, you're paying them but why see that as a bad thing to get extra help because they're just trying to help you out and you're trying to not do a disservice to your, you know, potential fan base or existing fan base. So, um, that's just a rant of mine that I just don't understand why people see that as a bad thing. I -hmm. think it's awesome because like you said, you might be accustomed to listening to the same demo for a couple of months or something. And then when you get into the studio with a producer, they might, make a suggestion that could just be a game changer for the song, you know? Yeah. Or, um, a great example of this is, uh, I mean, you've, you've definitely heard the song falling by Trevor Daniel, right? Yeah. Okay. So like that song is everywhere right now. It's on TikTok. It's like in the top 10 on Spotify for how long now black bear did a remix of that song. Mm-hmm. And it's literally not even a remix. He literally just reproduced it. And even if he didn't put his vocals into it, I would still say it is infinitely better than the original. And so, like, if if anybody is curious, like, what a producer does, like, it's the attention to detail, you know? It's the little things that make a song great, you know? Because if you think yeah. about it, producing a song, it's, it's what, like, 1,500 little decisions, you know? And 100%. there's so many different combinations that, you know, a song can turn one way or another. And so, yeah, if you listen to the original of that song, then you listen to the Black Bear remix, like the remix is so much better. And um, I I was telling my brother about that today because he likes Trevor Daniel and Black Bear. And he was like, dude, it's the same thing. He's just he just put his vocals in there. And I was like, no, it's not. And I sat him (laughs) down and like showed him. And he was like, dude, you're blowing my mind right now. He was like, so this is like what a producer does. I was like, yes, it's exactly what a producer does. And uh, he was like, dude, I think I get it now. And, um, yeah, dude, like, it's just like the little things, man. And even then, like I said, I always get a second opinion because there's times whenever you get blinded and like, in order to write great songs, you have to be really, really self-aware, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of like amateur bands. And, um, I don't say that in like a way to like look down on people, but like inexperienced bands, amateur, it's like. Yeah, bad like, example. It's like amateur porn. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like the same thing. Yeah. And um like 
I've had so many people like come to me with songs and there's just like different tempos for every section of the song. And so mm-hmm. anytime one of my songs has a tempo change in it, my friends are like, dude, did you really do that? Like you broke your own code because for a while, like if there were tempo changes in a song, I would just like sit the band down and be like, all right, we're rewriting it because, <laughs> because what they'll do. Yeah. Like I have to like, you know, sit them down and I'm like, I'm like, all right, little guy today it's your first day of school and our first lesson is going to be how to write a song (laughs) because um what people will do is um you know they'll have like a guitar riff that they really really like and then they have uh, other guitar riffs that they really really like but they aren't at the same tempo and they don't sound right if they meet in the middle so then they'll they'll just do a tempo change to make them fit which only works if you're like something stupid like oceans eight alaska or like code orange you know like where that cathartic like change is what makes those bands thrive but most of the guys i work with want to be like the next wage war you know so it's like that doesn't really work in this case and um (laughs) so you know i'll uh i'll have to go through and like fix a song because it's just so disjointed and so i make sure i tell everybody the first step for me as a songwriter was to understand that my best ideas can ruin a song and like like that's the truth you know there's been so many times where my favorite part of the song had to get cut but then it made another part so much better and um you know made it it flow better yeah you know and like that's really been a huge thing for me is just making sure that everything you write is like perfect for that song. Um, Definitely. You know, like you said, bands aren't really self-aware when it comes to that kind of stuff. And again, that's where your role comes in or another person in the band, which like we said, not everyone is a songwriter. Yeah. Um, So being, having someone there to tell you like, Hey dude, like that, breakdown does not sound dope after this part you know or this tempo change is very very out there like sometimes you just gotta be told that and again it's for to to make the best product or have the best end result possible you know right i always make that clear with anyone that ever sends me a demo or just uh someone who releases a new song they're like hey man check this out i'm like okay it's cool or hey like this one part sounded weird. Like I, I'm usually brutally honest with people and I tell them that before they want to send me a song. I'm just like, they're like, Hey, can I send you a song for you to check out and get your feedback? I'm like, all right, but just know, like, I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm going to be completely honest with you because right. everyone, like all of your homies are going to tell you that it's a banger, but only the real homies will tell you that if it actually is or is not a banger, you know? Yeah, well, that's like, I don't know. I, I've made a lot of cool relationships because of that. Because you're just able to be honest with people. And like, mm-hmm. you know, so like I mentioned my friend Sam, you know, like I remember sending him one song and he was just literally like, you know, dude, I'm going to be honest. I don't like this song at all, but it's really well written. And like, mm-hmm. that was one of the coolest things that anybody ever told me because they personally don't like it, but they recognize that it's good. You know, they recognize the the musicianship or the the delivery of it or how it's crafted, which I mean, 
like again some would argue like well it's not even an argument music is subjective like just throwing that out there like what i think is good may not be what you think is good but you know it's just a really weird middle ground or gray area that you kind of have to fall along with like yeah to be able to respect music you know like Mm -hmm. reggae i fucking can't get into it at all (laughs) but i can appreciate it like i can say like oh cool like it sounds really weird but a lot of people like that or even Uh just urban music that's really on the rise right now i can't get into it but for me for me to go ahead and say hey this band sucks you know like that's just my opinion yeah you know especially for that genre yeah or whatever that's how i am with like earl sweatshirt like i loved all his older stuff and then like his last two releases it's just so weird but it's like like it's art you know and it's good art but like i I don't get into i can't get into it you know and that's okay i think the last stuff i liked from him was uh we're going way back like that one song drop that he that he released a long time ago and then um i think chum was the last thing i really liked from him See, I got into him because of Chum and Hive, and then he released uh, I Don't Like Shit, I Don't Go Outside, and uh, that record is awesome. The mix is awful on it, and it's perfect. It is just perfect. And uh, I don't know, that was, that was, actually, that record was a huge defining moment for me, because I remember listening to Grief, and I was like, I'm listening to this in my car, it sounds awful. But the mm-hmm. song is like so dark and gross that like that's what it needed. It needed a terrible mix. And like he sent yeah. that I'm I I remember looking up the credits and I'm pretty sure he sent that out to like a big mixing guy and they like understood that and they're like, Yeah, this needs to sound awful, you know? Right. And um <laughs> like dude, like that it's like the coolest thing, you know? Cause like a lot of mix engineers are like, Oh, you know, it needs to be pristine. We're going for radio play, you know, and right. uh, being able to identify that like this song needs to sound awful is just like the coolest thing to me. Um, it's a stylistic choice, but yeah. that doesn't mean that y'all can just torrent Reaper or whatever and create a shitty mix and call it art. Yeah, like, let, it has to make sense. Yeah, let's put it this way: he hired somebody for probably two grand a song to mix that and make it sound awful in the right way. You know, <laughs> like right. like that's uh. That's the difference there. hundred <laughs> percent. If you're reputable, you can do that. But if you're just starting out being a producer and you're putting out shitty mixes and saying, no, dude, it's art. Like it's, art. <laughs> it's supposed to sound like that. Um, no, I, I would not get the buy-in from that. Yeah. I feel that. <laughs> I, I, I see that all too often, man. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, with that being said, like how you said, it's like a stylistic choice for like, for that particular artist with like how they mix their stuff. Um, do you ever kind of like with your projects, do you kind of discover that right away? Like what the no. end mix is going to sound like, or is it like as you guys are writing or, or how does, how do you go about that? So like there's certain times when I'll sit down and like, I'll just have the vision <laughs> not to make it sound like it's this magical moment. Cause it's not, you know, it's just like, I have such a, you know, well thought out answer to all of the questions that I've asked myself that like I sit down and I know what I'm going to do. And then there's other times where the song doesn't come together until it's being mixed. And then there's other times where, you know, I'll wish that the artist had a bigger budget to send it out to somebody else for mixing, you know, just because like, 
mixing is an art in itself. And uh, I feel like a lot of people don't recognize that. And oh, yeah. um, because how the song feels dynamically and like where everything sits in the frequency range, it, it really affects how you interpret the song, you know? And Definitely. like in a perfect world, I would just outsource all my mixing because uh, I love it and I hate it uh, because like, I'm not, it's like tedious. It, it is dude. And like, I'm good at mixing, but after I spent, after I spent, you know, 20 hours writing and producing a song, what, what am I going to do with the mix? You know, like in my yeah. head, it's already mixed. Like I've heard it for so long. It's like, well, what else do I do? You know? Right. And so, um, yeah, it's 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 a struggle, and then sometimes it changes dramatically. So what I did once I got my new computer and I was like rebuilding my Cubase templates, I actually have it set up so I can't mix with my writing template. So like oh, none wow. of my none of my buses are routed. Like I have just folders. I don't have any buses. That way, whenever I'm like doing the demo, I just tell the band, I'm like, hey, listen, I'm trying out this new thing to see if it helps me while I'm mixing. Uh, your demo is going to sound awful. It's just going to be terrible. Okay. And, um, you know, just ignore it. And uh, that kind of helped me out a little bit because then it's like, I'm so used to hearing it just sound disgusting that like, I'm able to kind of mold it into what I want it to be. But, you know, before I was working out a, a single template for the whole thing. And that started to kind of be counter counterproductive because you would think well you know now i don't have to like export stems or i don't have to do any extra steps but whenever you're listening to that song so much and it sounds a certain way it's hard to make changes to it um you know yeah, it kind especially of turns into something new yeah especially if you have like the same drum tones or the same guitar tones like yeah. while you're writing it um that's kind of how you're envisioning the song like that's yeah. why and again I, I know some pros do it to where they they mix while they record. Mm -hmm. um, to me, that, like, I, I, I don't know. I don't like that. I understand, like, comping, like, vocals and stuff, or if you're recording guitars, like, comp as you go or whatever, you know? Yeah. Like, I edit uh, as I go, but I, yeah. I, don't, I don't mix as I go anymore. I just yeah. don't do it. Because um, it, it really can be counterproductive, and it can make the final product worse. <laughs> 100%. Um, yeah. There's an example of that, and I forget what it was. Oh, yeah. So Dan's latest song, we just finished up the last two songs of the EP, and they'll be coming out uh, in 2020. And um, so the one song, he, he like kind of threw a curveball at me, and he said he wanted to go in this one direction. And I was like, sure, why not? You know, like, it's it's 2019. The 1975 just put out like a 1980s post-punk song, you know, like it doesn't matter, you know, yeah, Let, anything goes. Yeah. Anything Genre, goes. you know, people just whatever. fall in love with the artist and their brand anyway. So like, what's it matter? And so I wrote it and then because his voice changed, he couldn't sing as high. And I was like, you know, talking to him and talking to a few other people. And I was like, maybe I should just like tone this back. Let's just bring it down. And, um, so I just like rewrote the song um, as far as like the production like aspects go. So I, mm. there's not as many guitars, you know, like, I mean, they were programmed drums, but there's no live drum samples in it now. You know, it's all just like, it's essentially like a trap kit. And uh, 
So I uh, went ahead and did all that, and we're working on the song, and I hated it. I just hated it so much, and I was trying to mix it, and I just couldn't stand it. And I was getting other people's opinions, and they said the same thing. And really what it came down to is just changing uh, two drum samples. Oh, wow. And so I changed two drum samples, and I rearranged just like some of the synth sounds and then the song was perfect you know and um you know like like what i said earlier like being a producer is really just the attention to detail and like that's what i meant by that you know whenever you're whenever you're like knee deep in a project it's like being able to like take a step back and like tear down and being like well you know maybe i shouldn't use that snare sound you know right maybe, maybe i should just put that to a snap or like should I include percussion here? Like, should I use, should I make a loop for the hi-hat and then toss a bit crusher on it in an auto panner? Like it's things like that, that really make like people interpret the song differently. And it really made it a lot better because, uh, that song was also very sensitive. It was about, uh, his uncle who committed suicide. And, oh, wow. um, so that sucked, you know, cause I really had to, I had to like dig up some not so fond memories and like try to put myself in his shoes again. And, um, dude, it's sad and it's great. And, you know, it was neat because like we, we finished tracking the vocals and I was like, well, I'm not going to have time to see him again before I move. So if the vocal takes aren't what the song needs, then we'll, we'll have to delay the release and we'll have to do it when I fly home for the next EP. And, um, Mm-hmm. so yeah it was literally just like that moment of re-envisioning everything and like understanding like what the song needs to be and it didn't happen until i was panicking that you know we're gonna have to delay the release and so right. yeah it just depends it, it really just varies on what what happens <laughs> and like what people want out of the song definitely that makes sense man um i have one last question for you before we uh this what's the word disband because huh? we're talking about bands <laughs> um so i mean the the biggest thing and and what i'm curious from like a producer's standpoint as an artist or as a previous artist um the what i hated doing or what i hate seeing other bands do is that they they go into the studio right they they record a song but that's it and they release it immediately and then they go on this dry spell for a long time because they didn't have like an ep or a record prepared or or other songs or some form of follow-up to that and i've been guilty of it one time like in my last band we released we had an ep ready but we were so caught up in getting signed so all we did was release one song and then three years later we put out the record like that's the I, worst thing you could ever do yeah no but, i did the same thing except yeah. my band broke up because i'm i'm a control freak whenever it comes <laughs> to my own projects yeah and so that's a gotcha. story for another day 100 <laughs> percent. yeah i'd love to hear that story one of these days <laughs> but what's your take on that like is it worth just recording a one-off song and just putting it out there and like seeing what happens like Cause I've seen other industry folk say like, and this is granted that your goal is to like get signed to a label or, or go on like national tours to 
put just one song out so you don't just invest a lot of money. Like I could see it from both ways, but personally I hate it. Like, you know, just record one song, see how it goes before you invest a lot of money into an EP or a record. But I, I don't know. Like I wanted to know your take on that and, and what you, you think about that. Oh man, my take is probably going to hurt a lot of people. So I think it's stupid to just put out one song and let it hang. And I think it's also stupid to record an EP and then just drop it as well as an album. Um, like, okay. So, I mean, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to be in like the metalcore alt scenes, you know, and, um, where albums are still like the thing, you know, people will literally wait two years because they're committed to the artist for another album to come out. And, um, if you're looking at all of these artists, like, if you pay attention to the charts, like every month you like end up seeing a new face and it's another person that went viral in some way, shape or form. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think the best thing that you can do is to get a good job, save up your money, get an EP done, but then also get like visual content made for all of it and then release it over the course of the year. And, um, you know, make sure you're pushing every song with paid advertising and, um, you know, doing everything you can to get the most out of each release because, you know, the truth is, okay, so you go and do an EP and you spend what, like five to seven grand on it. And then you're going to put it out. You're going to invite your friends to listen to it on Facebook. And then no one's going to care after six weeks. And you literally just spent $6,000 for people to listen to you for six weeks. And, it would be a lot better if you spent 10 grand and had people engaged and ready for you to release content throughout a whole year. Um, and that's something that a lot of people have been talking about lately. Um, you know, especially with like TikTok being a thing now, you know, I mean like Lizzo blew up what, like two or three years after truth hurts came out. Is that the name of the song? I think so. uh, Something like that. Yeah. Like literally like years after that song came out, it blew up. And, you know, um, I, I see Mark Eckert talk about like the idea of slow hits and I love it. I love it so much getting the most that you can out of a song. And the only way that you could do that and you could continue to grow is if you're releasing content consistently. Um, because if 100%. you just put out if you just put out one song and you want to see how it goes, you're going to be disappointed every single time. You know that's like definitely it's a slow like, burn, right? Like okay, you want to learn how to ski, right? I'm just going to take one lesson and see how it goes. You're not just gonna learn. one. Like no, dude, you're not going to learn anything. You know, you have to do it multiple times, and you have to keep pushing and pushing, and it'll snowball. And um. So just to clarify, are you saying record an EP um, and like release a, one or two singles and then release the EP or just like an EP of songs and release that over the course of a year? Yeah, just so like one single like every few months. Gotcha. That would definitely be like the best way to do it. Okay. Um, and like know, you so. said, 10 grand, um, it might seem like a scary number to most bands, yeah. but... I just did the math because I suck at math, but um, on average, that's about 800 bucks, give or take a month divided by what five 
band members, that's only $166 a month Yeah, to come up with not just a recording budget, but also an advertising budget and being able to afford a music video or two. Like 10 grand might not seem like a lot to the pros out there, but when you're starting out, that is a lot. And that's a good investment you can get. Yeah, for little to nothing. Like what's 150 bucks for a a group of five people? Like each person, $150. Right. Like if you're, and again, like first of all, to those young bands out there, find people with jobs. (laughs) That's like the biggest setback to any band. Um, Mm -hmm. But find people that have jobs. All you got to do is just invest 150 bucks over the course of a year. Like spend the first year as a band, like preparing for your live shows, saving up money. So then you can record a kick-ass EP or record, whatever, depending on what kind of deal you get. But then you can go full force the following year, you know, cause right. like you said, the, um, sometimes it takes a little bit for bands to blow up and why not take the extra time to prepare yeah. for those things? Exactly. And, um, you know, on top of all that, it's like, yeah, $10,000 is a lot of money, but you know, it's, it's important to like, you know, understand that reality of, yeah, this is, this is expensive to do. And $10,000 isn't a lot, you know, um, in the grand scheme of things. Um, and like, it's terrifying to look at that number and being like, yeah, I need that. But at the same time, I'll see bands, um, you know, even bands that I've worked with, they'll come to me, We'll do a few songs. They put them on Facebook. They don't run any ads. They don't even make any like professional looking artwork for it. And then they're talking about going on DIY tours. It's like, well, how much are you going to spend on those tours? They don't know until they do it. And then they do it over and over again. And then by the time the year is over, they've spent 20 grand, you know, 100% touring is expensive. Touring is insanely expensive, dude. And then they're going to be playing to rooms full of what, 15 people because they're dealing with awful promoters. Nobody knows about them yet, you know? And it's like, you're really going to spend a few thousand dollars in a month to go on tour and have, you know, 20 people buy your record, you know? And uh, I just think that you know, in this day and age, it's, it's pointless to, you know, grind out those tours and live that broke band guy life. Whenever you could have financial stability, still afford all the things that you want to do and have the best release out of any of your friends who are doing the same thing, you know? And, um, you know, I mean, like it sucks because like, that's a part of the dream, right? You know, I mean, like we both grew up in heavy music. It's like, yeah, I'm going to have a band. I'm going to get a van we're going to hit the road. We're going to play shows. Like yeah. that was, that was the dream. And then I never ended up touring because I quickly found out about how expensive it is. And, 100%. um, you know, especially if you don't have a van and he start looking at van rentals and that's up, man. Like yeah. Then you buy and, one off of Craigslist and it doesn't work. That's yeah. Dude. Too. How about this? I'd, ra- I'd rather put $2,000 into Facebook ads for my new song than, paying two thousand dollars for a new transmission (laughs) hundred percent because you get more return on investment that way right and i mean i'm not trying to like undermine like physical relationships because like meeting somebody face to face and having a conversation with them will last a lifetime more than your five second ad on facebook but 
like it's expensive to do it that way you know especially when you're starting out like that's way too much risk which again if you're again i get super pissed off talking about this but for those bands that are like no fuck facebook fuck the algorithm blah 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 y'all are going on a tour without even having a following anywhere like that's a huge risk you want to know what's more (laughs) you know what's going to set you up for failure more than the facebook algorithm going on tour with no fans yeah (laughs) you know and like i i hate to be that way because i sound like someone's grumpy uncle but it's the truth you know it's like so many artists are finding success because they spent their money wisely and like i get it like if you're just in it to play shows and have fun with your friends then sure go go spend your money on a diy tour but if you want to do this if you want to have a retirement fund one day (laughs) if you want to have health care one day then you should probably not invest your money elsewhere well yeah not do music (laughs) yeah but yeah like i get where you're going with that yeah Um, and just set yourself up for success not shooting yourself in the foot Right. You know, and like, that's something that I want to try to like help artists understand. And I'm going to be launching a new business, um, in 2020, which is going to help artists with all that. And, um, you know, I'm just tired of seeing bands burn out because they can't afford to keep up with the DIY tour lifestyle. Like nobody wants to be working minimum wage jobs and then living in a van for six to eight weeks and then coming home and doing that again and living on their friend's floor, you know, like that's not fun. It's not fulfilling, you know, it isn't, it kind of, it it defeats the purpose of the dream, you know, like the, the dream of like being on the road. Most artists that I've met in like, like in a touring band, like they're unhappy and whether that's like an industry thing and in in this scene specifically, um, like they're, they're, guarantees per show are 100 to 200 bucks you know like i think that's wrong yeah Um, but that's a whole nother conversation at a whole nother time but um i talked to my friend uh uh, jeremy from from socal um like when you look at the edm scene like the dudes that are up and coming they make thousands of dollars just playing one festival or one show like how how do we get metalcore or just rock in general to to be valuable again because it used to be like and i'm it talking like be. in the in the 80s 90s even early 2000s like dude i watched whenever, like, uh even when like post hardcore was real big in like the late 2000s and early 2010s like it was really valuable my one friend was talking to a booking agent and they were thinking about buying onto a tour with i forget it was like the devil wears prada or something and i won't throw out any numbers but like it was an absurd amount of money, like right. a ridiculous, like the, the amount of money for a tour buy on back then, like I really thought that it would get you someone bigger than like Prada at the time, you know, Definitely. like they were like, on the that's rise crazy. That time too. And they were, you know, I mean, they were selling out huge shows, like, but at the same time, like I thought that it would be like, well, over, like well under the 15 grand mark. And it was like, Dude, I mean, <laughs> it, it was like it was over insane, forty yeah. grand. It was like forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars, like yeah, a person's salary, you know, in a whole year, which yeah, and, is expected. Yeah, and what were they? And what were they doing at the time? It was probably like a thousand cap, fifteen hundred cap venues or something like that. 
Like yeah. they're like it used to be valuable and it's funny because if you look at it from the outside as far as like production quality and like you know, I mean, how much just the records cost now? Like mm-hmm. you would think that if anything it would be more valuable today, but I feel like the margin is just shrinking. And 100%. um I mean, it's kind of depressing, dude, you know? Um, we were entertaining the thought of outsourcing some additional production and mixing to some of our idols for this one metalcore project. And so I was reaching out for the band and I finally learned like how much the guys that I look up to are charging. And it really wasn't an absurd amount of money, but for a lot of these bands, it was too much. And right. You know, you're looking at some of these bands and you're like, wow, like your record really did cost you like 50 grand, you know, and like, like how much are you making on tour? You know, like, how are you paying all that back? Because that's, that's just the tip of the iceberg, the record. Then you're looking at all the videos that they did and all the graphics they had made and then the PR campaigns. And you're like, dude, like, and then the record labels cut. <laughs> yeah. And then the record labels cut on top of that. And you're like, how, how are you guys paying back this advance? You know? Yeah, man. Uh, it, it's, it's wild out there. Dude, it's absurd. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, part of me wants to like, I don't know, say it's like the fans, but like the people who like are still around are super passionate. And like, it's crazy seeing some of these smaller bands like, you know, I love Silent Planet and I'm in their one like Facebook community and like, you know, Seth Godin talks about like what would happen if you had a thousand super fans like Silent Planet could probably just live off of a thousand super fans. And I oh, yeah. and I interact with all of them and they probably have a lot more than a thousand. Like it's crazy. hundred percent. Like there are people. Like, it's not hard to make a living off of music. Like if you're dumbing it down using that thousand fan logic like i've heard that concept before but a thousand people paying 20 bucks a shirt every month that's 20 grand yep. that you're making every month you know um it, it's not that hard at the end of the day and uh this is a, a conversation i've actually had with my previous uh band um that they've reached a point to where people believe in them and they can do something different. And it's something that I've encouraged other artists to do, but no one has, for one, the balls to do it or they're lazy. Cause yeah. let's be honest, musicians are lazy. And I'm just putting it this way. Like our, the, the band I'm talking about, their, their music is somewhat intricate. They have like tempo changes, uh, time signature changes. So we just came up with this idea. What if you start a Patreon with different tier levels? The first one is only five bucks. It gives you access to like new content or, or exclusive vlogs. Like those were cool back in the day, but why not monetize those now? Um, it's five bucks a month. You get access to that stuff. But what if the second tier is $20 a month and it's all you have to do is just create videos of you playing the songs on guitar or breaking them down. If only 30 people sign up for that, which the Facebook page, page has 5,000 likes. The Instagram page has almost 10K likes. I'm sure at least, and they've gotten a ton of messages on people asking for tabs. So I'm sure at least 30 people would sign up for that at 20 bucks a month because they see the value in that. Right. That's an extra $600 of income this band can generate. Right. And and just off of content. Yeah, dude. Like there's so much that people can do now and they just don't do. And I mean, I'm guilty of it too. You know, like um, 
being that this was my first year, like being a hundred percent full time, like I saw huge spikes in like, you know, my financial status, you know, it would go up and down and up and down. Then I found out I was moving and I picked up a part-time job just to make sure I could pay my bills. But like, it had me wondering, it's like, well, what if, like, what if I did something like that? Like there, there's definitely a lot that I could do to generate passive income just for myself. And like, that applies to bands too, you know? Um, right. Which is why I'm starting, you know, the YouTube thing, which is why I'm starting, um, you know, to actually like plan out my content in advance and like automating the posting and all that. Cause like, I just want to be more present for people and I want to offer like more value to what I do. Like, you know, I just want to like figure out a way to like be more than just like a record producer, you know? Right. Because like, I, I love what I do and I want to show people like how to do it. If everybody was good at producing music, we would have a lot more better songs out in the world today. And like hundred percent, a lot of people will get like bugged out by that. And they're like, you know, would you, would you really show your production process? And it's like, are there certain things I probably wouldn't maybe, but yeah, 90% just do dumbed of, down content. Yeah. 90% of what I do is stuff that I learned from other people. So why wouldn't I pass that information on, you know? And, um, right. you know, I was watching the nail, the mix from Will Putney. And like, I always looked up to that dude because it's like, he literally is the guy to go to if you want a stripped down metal song, you know, if you want it to sound 100%. like you're in the room with whoever's listening to you, you go to Will Putney simple. Right. And Definitely. so, you know, I would like read interviews from him and stuff. And I always, it kind of painted this picture for me, you know, it was like, he doesn't use drum samples and like his recording process <laughs> is super unique. And he has all this like crazy unique outboard gear and I'm watching him do nail the mix and he's like, yeah, so, uh, here are like all my drum samples. Um, these are just samples that I made. <laughs> and I was like, wait, so he does what I do. Cause I make my own drum samples when I'm doing live drums. I was like, right. Like there's nothing special about what anybody does other than just like how they do it. You know, it's not about what you do. It's how you do it. And, um, 100%. you know, and like, that was just mind blowing to me because I was sitting there watching him do this and I was like, yep. Yep, I know how to do all this, but my mixes just don't sound nearly as good as him, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think that, like, if you're able to show your fans that, you know, you become a lot more relatable, you know? Give them content of you writing a song. Well, what's someone going to do? Steal your song? It's already released, you know? Like, yeah. Take them into the studio with you. Definitely. like give them stems to remix dude you know like there's so much that you could do as an artist like more than i could do like there's a lot of stuff i wish i could do but i really can't because like the bands at the end of the day would probably not be cool with it you know um right like i think uh that new band well they're not new but they're they just got signed to fearless like locket um cory i think is his name yeah. he does a lot of content like that which is super cool like no other band is doing that and for him to just be honest, or I think he released a video not too long ago and he's like, Hey, here's exactly how I, you know, did X amount of record sales. Granted, a lot of people were commenting like, Oh, step one, get signed to fearless. But again, that that's not all it is. You don't need a label to do this stuff. The, just the, the strategy that he 
said, after they got signed, you can apply that and it could probably work out for you too. You don't need a label to do these things. Right. And I don't, there's still this weird misconception with metal where labels are this magical being that make you famous. And that's not the truth. You know, it's like, do labels help? Yeah. But at the end of the day, a label is just a bank and you owe the money, you know? Yep. Preach to that. And like a lot of people still think you need to like tour and prove that like you're down with the tour life to get signed. It's like wage war didn't tour before they got signed. They made a, they made great music and they sent it to fearless and fearless happened to listen to them. It was like, Hey, yeah, let's talk, you know? Right. And it's like, there, there's a lot that, there's just a lot of like, I don't know, smokescreen around everything and how it works. And so like, I don't know. That's there's been part no of my one mind. blueprint. There's <laughs> blueprints, wage war. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a bunch of different ways to, to make it in music. There, there's no one right way. Right. You can make it with a label. You can make it without. It's, it's all at the end of the day. It just depends on your music as poetic and as, simple as that is it's all about the music and it's so exciting now because like um you know like with awol being a thing like distro deals are now the future you know and it's crazy because like 10 years ago if somebody mentioned yeah so there's this distribution platform right and they take a percentage of your sales but then they also like push you to like playlists and if you get to a certain amount, they'll start funding your releases. Like everybody mm-hmm. would be like, what are you talking about? You know? Right. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, like it just wasn't a thing. And now it is. And like, that's exciting. It's really exciting. And like, I, yep. I think that labels will always be around. Um, even, even independent labels. I think that they'll always be around because how many people are actually signed? It's probably like 1% of all the serious bands out there, you know? And um, if anything, it just means we're going to get more great music and there's going to be a lot less people in debt. (laughs) Um, Definitely. And so like, you know, it's just so cool. Like there's so many things that you could do now. And, you know, that's something I've really been obsessing over is just like, thinking about the possibilities, you know, like how can I help people, you know? And so like with nobody recordings, you know, I want to like basically offer the same level of support that like the creative team of a label would offer, you know? And, um, because if you look at all the people that like really have like super fan bases that really, really care, like, that artist could put out any type of song. I was just talking to this with Sam earlier. Um, I, I woke up and I was on YouTube and I found the 1975 at Reading, which is also why I've been talking about them so much. Cause they're still fresh on my mind, but um, they opened, right. with, they opened with people and that song is just dumb. Like it's crazy. If anybody put that song out, nobody would listen to it. Yeah, but because it's them, they they eat that shit up. Right, and I and I don't mean that in a bad way. I love that song, and it makes me so excited. And um, like people don't care about what genre the music is; they care about the message that they're buying into. You know, and I personally buy into the 1975's message. You know, like whenever I listen to their music, I feel like I'm a part of it. And um. 
when I go to their shows, it was like, it was over. It was game over. The first yeah. show I went to, it was before they released. I love it when you sleep. And, um, like literally I remember standing there and being like, this is like the weirdest thing, you know, cause they had that old rock and roll vibe then, but it was mm-hmm. also very new and the sounds were just incredible and I didn't understand it. And after that, it was just like, yeah, I'm definitely a fan for life. And, <laughs> um, you know, like I'd love to see more bands doing that where they're not afraid to make different music because at the end of the day, as long as it's not a bad song and it's a really good song, it doesn't matter what genre it is. It matters who you are though, you know? hundred percent, uh, man. I don't know. I feel like that's the one thing that's kind of missing from metal right now. Like there's a lot of new bands coming up that are good that like I could get into, but like I forget about them because like, there's nothing that I really cling to, you know? And yeah, they're, uh, they're too afraid to do something different. Everyone is just in that comfort zone or they're like, like you said, Hey, I want to be the next wage war. Okay. But that's not what worked for wage war. They said, Hey, I want to be the next X, Y, and Z, but different, you know, cause they are right. different. There's no other band that's a hundred percent exactly like them. I can see their influences, but again, you just have to step out of your comfort zone sometimes and like, pretty much how we said it's all about the music you got to do something different right like it's so it's so weird because when you try to like put this into like you know a step-by-step process it's like rule number one is always like you have to have great songs but then rule number two is nobody actually cares about the songs even though they think they do you know they care about you and who you are and uh it's so it's just so cool i don't know (laughs) i I love this stuff i could talk about it forever and we're getting a little long here so i don't want to keep you but like um you know like we were really talking about the 1975 like how did that band work you know because at the time like you know what um the self-title came out in like 2013 or 14 like at that time nobody was listening to music like that you know, it, it just, it wasn't cool, you know? Yeah, but, but they, they started a trend because, you know, like, then people started emulating that. Yeah, now every failed metalcore band re- restarts as a 1975 cover band. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it worked out for Nightmares. You remember them? Like, how they rebranded a chapel or whatever? Like, I don't know if you're Wait, familiar with Wait, they rebranded a chapel? Yeah, Nightmares, okay. that new metal band when new metal was on the rise, like they like they were on Rise Records, but they tried a uh, that new metal core revival. Like they were, they were really good. I love their debut album. It, you should check it out, or I'm out. sure you've checked it out. But um, they rebranded to Chapel. Like the singer, um, he's in Chapel now. Which, again, going back to the whole songwriting thing, uh, Tyler Carter actually helps them with songwriting. So yeah, um, that again a full circle with all this stuff but yeah i agree they they definitely every failed metalcore band does come back as a 1975 carbon copy but chapel is my exception because chapel is sick so this is like really weird my friend nick he was in a band with courtney and then right after that band broke up is whenever like she ended up in chapel and uh yeah so it's kind of funny because i always knew of them and I always listened to them because of Nick, you know, but I didn't know that, uh, what's, what's their vocalist name? Is it Carter? 
Yeah, Carter. Yeah, I didn't know that he was in like a new metal band because I was kind of confused. I was like, how did this band end up on Rise? Like, they're really, yeah, he they're was really the, cool. The vocalist. Know? Yeah, he was the vocalist. He used to do screams for Nightmare. So it's kind of funny. That's he's so just sick. Doing uh, Man, 21 Pilots, 1975 stuff. <laughs> I love that so much. And, Me too, uh, man. But, yeah, it um, was just uh, it was just neat seeing how how they worked because they really did just find like a core like fan base, and then from there they were like, well, let's let's include some more people in this fan base. But they still kept true to their values. You know, they didn't sell out. They just made music that more people would probably like, and they keep doing that with every release. And so far, it's working out great because they just headlined at Reading. <laughs> yeah, they're great, man. But um, with that being said, I, I think right now is as good as, as time as ever to wrap it up. But I'd definitely love to reconnect and, and talk again. And once you launch, uh, what was it? Nobody recording. Sorry if I'm butchering yep. that. Awesome. Well, thanks again, man. I, I appreciate you for taking some time out of your day to talk to me. Oh, no problem. It's a blast. I uh, Like I said, I could talk about this stuff forever. So I was really pumped when you told me about this and I'm real stoked that uh, we got to do this. I didn't even realize that it's been almost an hour and a half since we started this. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> well, you have a good rest of your day and uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah, thanks, man. Talk soon. Hey, you made it to the end. If you have any specific questions about marketing your music, feel free to visit our website at oddlysimple.xyz and see you next time.